You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. I don't think I introduced myself earlier. My name is Eric Bonkowski, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. We're really glad that you have decided to join us for worship this afternoon. This winter here at City Church, we've been talking about rescue. And since we've been talking about rescue, I've uh, told some memorable rescue stories, some of which may be new to you and some of which are probably familiar to you. I want to do the same thing today. I want to uh, remind you about a story that happened in 2018, not that long ago. And there was a group of about uh, 12 or 13 young boys, teenage boys, and one afternoon they left their bikes at the entrance to a cave system for an afternoon adventure. And they went into this cave and then some sudden and unexpected rain came and trapped this soccer team inside a cave. And they were trapped two and a half miles from the entrance. They entered the cave on June 23rd. And they weren't discovered in that cave by some rescue divers until July 2nd. It took another week until these boys were rescued. So all told, they spent two and a half weeks, almost three weeks, under kind of captured the attention and the imagination of the world. And there were thousands of people, literally thousands of people who were involved in the rescue effort. I didn't know too much of the story, but I learned this week that what made it so complicated was this cave system was like a labyrinth. And some of it was flooded underwater. Other parts were these narrow chambers that uh, a, a grown man could barely wriggle through. Uh, and the, the rescue divers had to be divers because parts of it were flooded with water. They were scuba trained and they were carrying oxygen tanks with them so that they could make it through the various chambers of this cave. And they eventually found uh, these boys. And uh, even once they found them, found them, it took them a long time to come up with a rescue plan. They had different ideas of how they might go about doing it. One of them was just to wait until the monsoons season was over when it would be easier to access the cave. But eventually they settled on an idea that would require uh, trained underwater divers to ferry and escort each boy one at a time through the, the, the system of chambers in this cave. It was something that had never been done before. And they needed very specialized people in order to do this. And uh, within the diving community, the cave diving community in particular, they reached out to a, a man, an Australian man. A man named Richard Harris who, as well as being a cave diver, also happens to be an anesthesiologist. Because they realized that in order to save these boys, they would have to uh, inject them with ketamine, put them completely in a comatose state, 
because they were afraid that when they had the scuba equipment on and they were going back through these small chambers, they would get claustrophobic or they would go into panic and their bodies would react. So you can imagine the complexity of this rescue plan proposal. And when Richard Harris first heard about it from a colleague, he said, it'll never work. Find someone else. But he relented. He changed his mind and he left Australia and he went up to Thailand. And he was one of the rescue divers who helped pull each of these, I think, 15 boys in their coach from the cave. And not a single one of them died. But what I want you to think about is what his first reaction was. It'll never work. Find someone else. Send somebody else. Because I think that captures so much of our reaction to God and to situations that God might be calling us into. No, send someone else. And this is a human reality. It's a human problem. And we see that in the book of Exodus, in chapter 4, that I'm going to read from today. We see it in the life of Moses. I'm going to read today chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. I encourage you to follow along as I read it, either in your Bible or in the worship guide where these words are printed. This is God's word for us this afternoon. Here's what it says. Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is it? What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite's? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. 
Father, in many ways I can feel like Moses, slow of speech, slow of mouth, not eloquent. And yet you have promised, you promised to speak through Moses and you've promised again to speak through your servants today. And so we ask that you would do that. And that what we all would hear would not end up being my words, but would be your word. Your true and enduring and everlasting word. Applied to our lives, applied to our hearts, and giving us hope. Giving us purpose. Reminding us of your love for us through Jesus. We pray today in his name. Amen. So today I want to talk uh, in three parts. I want to talk first about how... Uh, Moses says, send somebody else. I want to talk about how God sends someone else. And then I want to talk about how God sends us. So what we come to first here in Exodus 4 is somewhat familiar. It's Moses saying, send someone else. If you're here last week, we, we began to see how Moses was a reluctant leader. He was a hesitant hero. He was full of doubt. He did not want to do the things that God had called him to do. In verse 1, we see this. Moses answered, they won't believe me or listen to my voice. Last week, uh, Moses wondered what authority he should tell the Israelites he was doing this work. And God gave him the divine name. He said, I am the God of your ancestors. Tell them that I am. Yahweh has sent you. Moses answers back here, he says, they won't believe me. It's not going to be enough. And and what we have through this first part of Exodus chapter 4 is Moses full of excuses. We talked about it in staff meeting this week and Val said, oh, Moses is shook. He is shook in in chapter 4. He doesn't know which way is up and which way is down. His faith is weak. In verse 10, He announces another excuse, right? That I'm not eloquent. You're calling me, God, to this work that involves speaking to the people of Israel, and I'm not good at speaking. Send someone else. And do you notice how God is patient and how he meets each of these excuses with grace, with patience and provision? Moses is is stammering, he's hesitating, he doesn't want to do the work that God has called him to, and yet God is faithful to give him signs, to assure him. He provides these three signs that I want to talk about just briefly. And these signs, it's not like God is showing off, it's not like God is jersey popping before Moses. He's giving these signs in a way that is going to be meaningful and is going to point forward to the work of rescue that God is going to do on behalf of Israel. The work that God is going to do through Moses. These are not empty signs. These are signs that point to God's good character. So the first we see in verses 2 through 5. And Moses had been a shepherd for 40 years in Midian. So he's carrying a shepherd's staff with him. And God says, take your staff and throw it to the ground. And it becomes a snake. And then God says to Moses, pick up that snake and pick it up by the tail. Now, I don't like snakes. I haven't dealt with snakes a whole lot in my life. But I know that you don't pick a snake up by the tail. You pick it up close to its head so that it it can't bite you. 
Or if you're me, you take a shovel and you, you jab at the snake with the shovel. You would never touch an actual snake. But this is the sign that God gives to Moses, and he picks the snake up as instructed by the tail and immediately becomes a staff again. Well, what is this all about? What's the meaning here? Well, the meaning comes from what a snake represents, and you you probably have studied enough um, Egyptian history, or you've watched Prince of Egypt or other things like that, and you know that the snake was this symbol of Egypt. It was a revered symbol. It was a symbol of the strength and might and royalty of Egypt. And what God is doing but with, with this sign of a staff becoming a snake and becoming a staff again, God is saying, I am more powerful than Egypt. I am bigger than even the thing that you, the thing that you think is biggest and strongest in all the world. The second sign comes in verses 6 and 7. This one has to do with leprosy where uh, Moses sticks his hand inside his cloak, pulls it out, and it's leprous, then he sticks it in his cloak again, and it's restored. This, again, has to do with the context of ancient Egypt. Ancient Egypt was known um, for, for being a place of disease, and leprosy in particular was an incurable disease that afflicted a lot of people in the ancient world. So here, God is demonstrating to Moses. He is saying, I am stronger than even the diseases that are incurable to Egypt. I am bigger. I am stronger. You can trust me. I can restore that which is diseased. I can bring back to health that which is rotten and corrupt. The third sign comes in verse 9. It has to do with the Nile River. And it's a sign here where Moses scoops out some water from the Nile River. He throws it on the ground and it turns to blood. What's going on with that? Well, a couple things. What was the Nile uh, in ancient Egypt? Well, it was the source of life. It was a sign of vitality and abundance. In fact, all of the Egyptian empire was uh, kind of based around and dependent on the Nile River. It would overflow its banks, and that would create the soil that allowed crops to grow, provide for the people. What God is saying is that he can take the source of life for Egypt and turn it into a symbol of death. He can take what they hold out as their hope and their life, and he can ruin it. This third sign in particular is going to be relevant as we move forward through the book of Exodus. It's a perfect foreshadowing of the first sign that Moses will do before Pharaoh as he brings the the people of Israel out of Egypt. He turns the Nile River into blood. It happens in Exodus chapter 7. And essentially what God is saying is that there is a greater violence that will need to be done against Egypt than even the violence of their enslavement of Israel. There's a great violence that affected so many of the Israelites and there will be a a bigger death still to come to earn their freedom. So God gives these three meaningful signs to Moses, but how does he respond? It only leads him further into his excuses, further into his doubt, further into his reluctance. And all of it builds to a climax in verse 13, where Moses 
says, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Now the Hebrew in this verse is, is kind of ambiguous and vague in terms of what the words actually mean, but the meaning of this verse is absolutely clear. Don't send me. There's got to be someone else. And doesn't that hit home? Aren't we so much like Moses? Full of excuses. Hearing the call of God, feeling the prompts of the Holy Spirit, but resisting them. Surely, I'm not qualified. Surely, Israel won't listen to me. Surely, there's got to be someone else you could send. So the second part that we see in this passage is that God indeed sends someone else. This is what Moses wanted, isn't it? God, in verse 14, initially is angry. We see his anger flare up. We see this flash of God's anger, and I think that's important. It's anger specifically at Moses' unbelief. He's been patient for so long. He's worked through excuse after excuse. He's provided sign after sign. But here we see this flash of God's anger because Moses, after all of the evidence, after all of God's promises to be with him, he still fails to believe. But this flash of anger soon fades into more grace from God the Father. More patience, more provision. He says, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? God sends to Moses Aaron, his older brother, someone he knew well. He said, okay, I hear all of your excuses. I hear all of your complaints. Well, what about Aaron? He's a good public speaker. He'll speak for you. God sends someone else to Moses. And Moses and Aaron, throughout the rest of the story of Exodus, they will be a a team leading the people of Israel, rescuing them. God provides. God sends someone else. But I want you to look beyond Exodus 4. I think this is so important as we read it here today. That we know that God sends someone else far better than Aaron. He sends us Jesus. That's the someone else that God has sent. To effect a rescue that's greater than drawing the Israelites out of their slavery in Egypt. He sends us Jesus to draw the whole world out of its bondage to sin and to Satan. God sends someone else. He sends us Jesus. You see, Israel was given this story about Moses to strengthen their trust in God. And we are likewise given the story of Jesus in His rescue to strengthen our trust in God. When you feel reluctant, when you feel full of doubt, when you are saying to God, send someone else, remember, God has sent someone else to you. He sent His Son, Jesus. In Jesus, I don't think this is a mistake, this is planned in the mind and the heart of God from all eternity, Jesus fulfills each of the signs that God gave to Moses. Jesus defeats the serpent, Satan, once and for all. Stomping on the head of the serpent, saying that there is a serpent, there is a power greater even than ancient Egypt. And Jesus 
is greater still. Jesus heals leprosy and every disease that affects us. That's why in Jesus' ministry, as he went around teaching about the kingdom of God, teaching a new ethic of loving God and loving one another, he also healed lepers, yes, but also those who are born um, crippled from birth. Those with diseases that had afflicted them for years and for decades. Jesus shows himself to be the great physician. There is no disease, there is no problem that he cannot restore. And finally, Jesus fulfills the third sign that God gave to Moses too. Because in Jesus' life, actually more correctly in his death, he pours blood out onto the ground. He sheds his blood on the cross at Calvary. And in, in doing that, he is showing this greater violence that answers all the violence of the world. The violence of a holy God against his innocent son. Why? So that we would be healed. So that we would know that the one true God is with us always. God has sent someone else to us. He has sent us Jesus. Which leads us to the third and final point today. That because God has sent someone else to us, because God has sent Jesus to us, now God sends us. And our response to his sending should be different. It can be different. Rather than responding the way Moses did, where we say, send someone else, we can respond positively. We can, we can say like Isaiah, here I am, send me. I will go. I want to illustrate this or apply this in, in three ways. The first is by making reference to our annual report. So uh, each of the last three years here at City Church, uh, our communications team has put together an annual report. And basically it tells the story of the past year at City Church. So if you're a part of this community or if you're new here and you want to uh, learn and celebrate what, what God has done uh, in us and through us over the last year, please follow along with this report. We have a, a hard copy of this in the narthex on, on one of the tables out there. You can grab one on your way out. The main way that this report is going to be delivered this year is through our daily podcast, Good Morning City Church, starting tomorrow. There'll be five episodes. This whole week will be focused on telling the story of the last year at City Church. If you didn't know we had a daily podcast, if you've never listened to a daily podcast, this would be a great week to start. You'll hear voices that tell how God has been faithful to us, and this annual report is built around the idea that I'm talking about today. It's built around, it says here on the front, our response to God's grace. God has sent Jesus to us. What do we do in response? How are we sent out in light of that? It's exactly what's going on here in Exodus 4. On the first page here, there's a QR code that will take you to a landing page on the website where you can listen to the episodes as they're released, and you can also read through the, the written collateral that we have in support of this annual report. The, the big idea, spoiler alert, 
is that it starts with God's grace, but it's God's grace that catalyzes our going. Because Jesus was sent to us, we are sent out to the world. So that's the first illustration or application of this idea of God sending us. The second, I want to speak uh, directly to you, Jeremy, because it's relevant to your being ordained and installed today. Now, Jeremy and I have known each other for a long time. I've known you since longer than City Church. When Jeremy first moved to Richmond in 2007, I helped him move into his house. So we've known each other a long time. You know, part of the backstory on uh, our relationship, but more importantly on God's sending of Jeremy, is that in our very first elder class, leadership training class at City Church, Jeremy was a part of that in 2010. I think he's been through the training class about three times. It took a while to stick for him. And all joking aside, I think that reveals the way that God's sending often works. It wasn't that Jeremy was uh, reluctant or hesitant. It's that he wasn't in a place in his life where he could answer this particular call to serve City Church at the time. But now he is. And that process over the last 15 years shows me God's hand of sending on your life. Just as he was with Moses, so he also will be with you. Remember that. Hold to that. But also remember that well before God sends you, Jeremy, he has sent someone else. He has sent Jesus. And you are only an errand boy for Jesus, pointing to him, an under-shepherd of our great shepherd. And one thing about this passage in Exodus 4 that I didn't say earlier, that I want all of you to appreciate, is that at the very end of the passage, God sends Moses with his staff his ordinary shepherding staff. I didn't read verse 18, but verse 18 is even better. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law. Wait, it's, maybe that's the wrong verse. Sorry, it's verse 20. It says here, as, as he goes back to Moses' father-in-law, and Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The staff had been Moses's. But as he answered the call of God, it became God's staff. And so it is in each of our lives, too. God is going to take ordinary things in your life, Jeremy. Your ordinary talents and experiences, your family. And those are going to become the instruments of God to rescue other people. The last application of this final point that I want to make is for everyone. It's for you. God is sending you. How will you respond to that? First, how are you resistant to God's sending in your life? What are your excuses? Where are you saying no? Where are you saying, well, I'm just, uh, I don't have any special gifts or abilities or experiences. I can't do it. God, surely send somebody else. Identify those places and then remember 
what I've talked about today. Remember that God has sent someone else. He sent Jesus. And because He has sent Jesus and sent the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the living and active Holy Spirit of God, at work in you this very minute, you likewise are sent. One of my favorite authors is a guy named Frederick Beekner. And I put a quote from Beekner at the top of the worship guide today. And it says this, a voice says, and this is God's voice, whom shall I send into the pain of a world where people die? That's the question that comes to all of us. It's one of the great defeaters of why we aren't sent out, because we know that this world is awful. Terrible things happen. People die. People get hurt. Relationships fall apart. Whom shall I send? He's sending you. And if you hear the call of God, just go. Now for you, it's, it's not going to be a call of God to rescue Israel from Egyptian slavery. It's going to be the call of God to enter into a conversation. To volunteer to serve in some form of ministry at the church or outside of the church. It's going to be a call to go into a hard place. Enter a hard relationship where it doesn't seem like there's any hope. It doesn't seem like there's any way out. It's going to be a call to go into a place where the pain of this world is vibrating. And when you hear that call, just go. Why? Because God has promised to be with you and He's already sent His Son. One of the greatest joys that I have as a pastor is when I hear the stories of how people are answering this call. When I hear about uh, people from this church who are serving as Young Life Capernaum leaders with high school students and young adults with disabilities, and they're throwing a party for them twice a month so that they can know the love of Jesus. It's when I hear the stories about uh, people in this church, members of this church, both of whom have uh, suffered incredible loss over the last few years, getting together for dinner and comforting each other. And saying, how are you today? You see, that plays a part in God's rescue mission. It's not parting the Red Sea. It's not marching people out of slavery. But it's entering in the places, the small places of death in all of our lives. And saying, let me remind you of your hope. Let me remind you of your Savior. When God calls, let him send you. There's one more thing I want to tell you about those boys in the cave in Thailand. You know, when the rescuers found them, they asked the question, well, who should go out first? And the boys had already thought about it. They had an answer. They said, we're going to send the kid who lives furthest away. Because he has the longest ride on his bike. They had no idea that thousands of people were outside that cave working on the rescue. They thought that when they got pulled from safety, they were going to have to jump back on their bikes and ride home. And they reasoned, well, that first kid, he can tell the rest of our families that we're safe. That we're going to be rescued. 
thought that was a beautiful story of how he didn't say send someone else. He said, I'll go first. And I'll announce the rescue. I'll tell all the families that there's hope. May we be like that boy. Listening to the voice of God and going when he calls. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we thank you that you have sent someone else. Because on our own, there would be no rescue. We are helplessly mired in our sin, facing the wages of death that we deserve. And yet, in your grace, in your patience, in your provision, you have given us Jesus. Now, Father, through the power of Jesus and the living presence of his Spirit in us, may we be women and men and children who go. Go into a world full of pain with a message of hope, a message of rescue, a message of Jesus. We pray this all in his name. Amen.